Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. Here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Fernley, Nevada. The city of more than 20,000 is located in Lyon County in northern Nevada. Fernley was established in 1904 primarily as an agricultural and ranching community due to its proximity to Reno, which provided a market for the goods as well as a transportation hub. The origin of Fernley's name remains unknown, and the only other place in the world to have the name Fernley was the now-defunct settlement of Fernley, California. This high-desert city is culturally and demographically diverse while retaining a strong presence of its blue-collar and agricultural roots. Over the past few decades, Fernley has become home to several multinational companies, including the world's first Tesla Gigafactory 1 that produces battery packs, energy storage, and electric vehicle components. Fernley is also considered to be an outdoorsman's playground, with residents and visitors alike taking advantage of the limitless outdoor activities like fishing, hiking, camping, and rock climbing. With its small-town feel and its proximity to the much larger Reno Sparks area, the city is a great place to live and draws many families from across the nation. But in 2013, the community of Fernley realized that not all newcomers shared their values. It was 6 a.m. on Monday, May 13th, 2013, the day after Mother's Day, when a 911 call came into the Lyon County Sheriff's Office dispatcher. The caller was reporting that he saw a large amount of smoke coming from his neighbor's garage. The caller said he didn't think anyone was at home because the residents of the house were usually up early in the morning and he hadn't seen them. When firefighters arrived and opened the garage door, they found a pickup truck engulfed in flames. Firefighters were able to put the fire out in short order. After the smoke cleared, they noticed something interesting. There were indications by the way the fire burned that it might have been arson. There had been intense heat surrounding the vehicle, but they didn't see any ignition sources that would have given off a spark to cause it. The cab of the truck had been thoroughly burned, and when they opened the driver's door to look inside, they were shocked by what they found. The cab had been stuffed with newspapers and it had served as kindling inside the truck. According to an episode of Murder by Numbers, Season 1, Episode 4, Lyon County District Fire Chief Scott Huntley said after the fire was under control, he went inside to search what they presumed was a deserted house. But they wanted to make sure there wasn't anyone inside in case they'd suffered burns or smoke inhalation. While the fire chief walked through the house, he noticed that all of the rooms were in disarray. It hadn't been ransacked exactly, but drawers had been pulled open in every room and the contents seemed to have been rifled through. 
When he went into the master bedroom, he could tell someone had been definitely looking for something when he noticed a large jewelry chest. Kath, this thing had to have been huge because he said it weighed at least 100 pounds. And with it weighing this much, someone had managed to push it away from the wall. So, of course, his first thought was had there been a burglary. As he continued looking through the room, he opened the closet door and in front of him was a large pile of clothes. Kath, it went up like waist high. He started pulling the clothes away and then he found an elderly man. He was clearly deceased and had been shot in the head. As the chief removed even more clothes, he realized there was an elderly woman next to him who had also been shot in the head. The two were identified as the owners of the home, Robert Pape and his wife, Dorothy. Both were 84 years old and had been married for 64 years. This kind of crime in small-town Fernley was shocking. Homicides were rare in the county, and they'd certainly never seen anything like this. Neighbors in this city took care of their own, so they started a neighborhood canvas, but no one had heard or seen anything. No strange people or vehicles were in the neighborhood. As detectives were wrapping up the canvas, they were called back to the Pape's house. One of the investigators had run the truck's plate, and it turned out that the burning truck did not belong to the Pape's. The owner was a man named Eleazar Graham. Police immediately recognized the name because he had a long criminal history in the area and had spent the past several years in jail. When detectives called Eleazar's probation officer, they learned he'd been checking in regularly with him and had taken a job delivering newspapers. Suddenly, of course, they understood why all the newspapers were stuffed into the burning cab of the truck. The sheriff's office then sent a unit out to his home to see if they could talk to him, but Eleazar wasn't there. Deputies did, however, notice a big stack of newspapers in front of the home waiting to be delivered. That same day, around 10 a.m., this is just four hours after sheriff's deputies and firefighters were called out to the Pape's home, deputies received a call from dispatch about a welfare check. Someone from the Fernley Senior Center called deputies and asked them to check on one of their volunteers, a woman named Angie Duff. Angie had volunteered there for years and was loyal and always reliable. She arrived on time and dependably worked her shifts. She never called in sick and had never been late. Angie's house was just around the corner from the Papes, so a few of the detectives went over to check on her. No one answered the door when they rang the bell, and they couldn't see inside any of the windows. But when they tried the door, it was unlocked, so they entered the house. They found a woman lying on the floor of the living room, covered in blood. It was 67-year-old Angie Duff, and she'd been shot and stabbed. They then noticed a trail of blood leading down the hallway. In one of the back bedrooms, they found a man lying on his back with his arms spread out. He had been shot and stabbed numerous times. They learned that the man was 69-year-old Lester Lieber, who was Angie's boyfriend. After a few of the detectives had gone to check on Angie Duff, another 911 call was made to the Lyon County Sheriff's Office about 30 miles west of the Papes' home in Fernley. A woman had called 911 after finding a truck stuck in a ditch just off Interstate 80. It was exit 23. Kathy, you know what that is. <laughs> in local parlance, they call it the Mustang exit. Kathy used to work there. <laughs> So in the state of Nevada, as many people know, 
prostitution is legal in some of the counties. There are 17 counties. Currently, 10 of them allow prostitution in some form. At the Mustang exit, which is actually not Lyon County anymore, it's Story County, which is a really, really tiny, tiny county. Do you like that I'm making the picture seat? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone can see you making a little teeny little county teeny. with your fingers. <laughs> I'm glad they can see it. I would have felt stupid otherwise. <laughs> but the Mustang Ranch is there. And they actually now call themselves the world famous Mustang Ranch. Like that's the official title. The Mustang Ranch was Nevada's first brothel and remains its largest brothel to date. So that's why they call it the Mustang Exit, because imagine the number of teen boys, the number of oh, I can't even imagine. men, and the number of tourists who like to come and just take Exit 23. Only one thing there. How long has that been in existence? 1971. Did you say that already? No. And I just missed it? I oh. said it to you earlier, but I hadn't shared that yet. Oh, <laughs> I just okay. said it was the oldest one in existence. Ah, I wonder if some of the ladies from 71 still work there. <laughs> it would not surprise me. People have this image of what it looks like. And I think in some places it probably meets that image-ish. But in little tiny, I'm showing the county again, Uh uh, Story County, I'm not sure that would be true. That's all I can say. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, so, okay, here's my experience with brothels. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Children, cover your ears. (laughs) I didn't know this was coming. (laughs) It's not that salacious. As you all know, I used to live in Lake Tahoe. And I was on a trip through Nevada and we stopped in the city called Pahrump. It's just outside of Las Vegas. Well, Clark County specifically. Las Vegas is in Clark County. And Clark County has expanded so much. It's now somewhat of a bedroom community. It's about 45 minutes from downtown Vegas. So one of the things that Pahrump was known for was they had a winery. So we went to this restaurant at the winery because it had a reputation for being just amazing. We're at this restaurant. We're having dinner. And it's it's not really a big restaurant at all. Is this for your work or socially? Oh, this is for work. Oh, okay, go ahead. But there's just two of us. I was okay. there with a coworker, and I'm looking across the restaurant, and a table's been set up for like eight people. And so I see all these men walk in, and they're like middle aged men for the most part. And as I'm watching these really young women come in, so one of them is like sexy nurse Halloween costume, and one of them's like French maid Halloween costume. Okay, it was April. And so I looked at the guy I was with and I'm like, that is so weird. Like, why do you think they're doing that? Like, what do you think the dynamic is over there? And he goes, you know, when we pulled up in the parking lot, did you see those double wide trailers at the other side of the parking lot? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, that's a brothel. Okay. Double wide trailers. I swear to you. That's so depressing. It is. And that's what most of them are. Or at least, okay, this was back in like 2013. Actually, this was 2012 that we were doing this. So right before all this happened. But yeah, that's what it was. They are double wide trailers. Mustang Ranch got burned down. Don't know by whom, but they built it up and it's no longer a trailer. But the majority of them are because they're out in the middle of nowhere, out in these really small rural counties. Nobody's really going to put a whole lot of effort into the infrastructure. Right. But apparently what they did, and I assume they still do at the time, is the winery would send a helicopter into Las Vegas, land on one of the hotels, pick up the gentleman chopper them over. It was like a 15 minute ride. They'd have dinner and entertainment. Oh my God. So that is my non-salacious brothel story. There's two things that I think of when I think of Nevada, like two things immediately pop into my head. One is when you invited your sister and I up for dinner and you said, don't put any money in the slot machine. And I immediately ignored you and won $300. (laughs) She put a dollar in and pulled the handle, which you don't always have to do anymore. She didn't push the button. No, you just push the button. Didn't I you? don't even remember. I think you just push. Anyways, 
300 bucks. Boom. Yeah. And I owed Kathy a hundred. Yep. So I was like, here you go. <laughs> and then she didn't gamble again the rest of the night. <laughs> I, well, I, I, Why don't would even, you? I don't even have the gambling impulse now, you know, but anyway, but that's what they're counting on. They're counting on you losing it all oh, back to totally. Them. Yeah. No, I was not going to lose that money. And then the other thing is when we were at that dinner, we had the world's best drink and it was yes. called, it was something funny, like the drink that you served me last night. Right. Or the last drink you served me last something night. Something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. And we tried recreating it when we got home and we could not do it. And we even had the bartender gave us what he said was the secret recipe yes. that he wasn't supposed to give. There was a secret ingredient to yeah. it. But I still think it's because one of the parts of the recipe was vodka soaked pineapple. Pineapple. Yeah. And we were never willing to let it soak that long. Exactly. It was way too long. Way <laughs> too long. never been able to recreate it. So and it anybody, had vanilla and brown sugar. Oh, my God. It was heavenly. Anybody who can recreate it, let us know. We will pay in T-shirts and swag. (laughs) You will get stickers. Yeah. (laughs) And shot glasses. So getting back to the third 911 call that happened 30 miles west of the Pape's home. The female caller told dispatch that there was a truck stuck in a ditch and had newspapers blowing out of the back and she thought someone should come take care of it. A deputy responded, and when he looked at the truck, there was no one inside. As he looked around and further along the ditch, he saw the body of a man. The man had suffered massive trauma to most of his body that looked consistent with being hit by a car. The deputy called for backup as he assessed the scene. The I-80, which was right there, was a major interstate, and so he wondered if it was a body dump. It was also right next to the Mustang on-ramp, and he wondered if somebody had too many drinks and accidentally hit the man. The deputy called in the stuck truck's license plate and couldn't believe what he was told. The truck belonged to Robert and Dorothy Pape. The driver's license in the man's pocket identified him as 52-year-old Eleazar Graham, the man who actually owned the truck found burning in the Pape's garage. Every available detective responded to the scene. So, of course, Kath, they're all looking around going, what the heck's going on? First, we find Eleazar's truck burning in the garage of the Pape's house where Robert and Dorothy Pape were killed. And now the Pape's truck was found near the body of Eleazar Graham, who'd clearly suffered severe trauma from being hit by a vehicle. Detectives are looking at it like five murders in one day. Did they have a serial killer loose in their community? Serial killer or spree killer? Or mass murderer. Yeah, I don't know. Well, probably not mass murderer. Probably spree killer. Five you know people I don't, don't know. qualify I don't know. as mass. Yeah, but they're in different locations. Ish. Yeah, I don't Only know. Only Eliezer was in a different location. The other was just down the block. People who are listening to us are like, you guys are idiots. It's a blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get on with the story? Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. Detectives went to speak with Eliezer's family and friends. They wanted to know if they knew of anyone Eliezer had a beef with who might want him dead. And they also wanted to find out if he had any connection with the Papes. He was one of seven children, and they were able to talk to several of his sisters. Most of them said that even though he'd served time, he was trying to atone for it. He worked hard delivering newspapers and took care of their father, who was on dialysis. But one of Graham's sisters had more to say on the subject. She told detectives that she thought she knew who killed Eleazar, their brother, Frank. She said that a few weeks before Eleazar was killed, he and his brother Frank had a fight and Frank had tried to run him over with a truck. 
Investigators tried to track Frank down at his house, but he wasn't there. However, his truck was. They looked at it closely to see if it had any damage to the front or looked like it had been in an accident. And sure enough, on the corner of the hood on the passenger side, there was a significant dent in it. While this was all happening about 30 miles away, detectives and forensic investigators remained at Angie Duff's house gathering evidence from the crime scene. As they were doing this, dispatch reported a 911 call had just come in a few houses down the street. For those who are counting or drinking to this, right. it's number four. four. A young man had just come home and found a burglar inside. When he confronted the burglar, of course, the man ran off. Detectives immediately ordered a perimeter around the neighborhood so no one could leave and called in the Lyon County SWAT team. The SWAT team went through the house from where the burglar had just fled and cleared it room by room. They found no sign of the man, but still had one room to clear, which would be scary because he'd be like a trapped animal at that point. Yeah, you don't know how he's going to react or how he's going to hit out at you. The room was empty, but just inside the door, they found a cell phone and about $1,000 in cold, hard cash. So the neighborhood is sealed off and the burgled house is now clear. So SWAT begins the process of searching the streets around them. But just as they started to break up into teams, there was a commotion from a couple houses down Angie Duff's house. Apparently, a guy wearing just shorts, no T-shirt or shoes, and covered in blood had run in through the back of Angie's house, not realizing it was a crime scene. He saw the forensic techs and bolted to the front door right into the raised guns of detectives and deputies. ruh row. I know, ruh row. As they handcuffed the man, they found two key fobs in his pocket. Fobs that turned out to be for Angie and Lester's vehicles. Was this their killer? And Kathy, what's crazy about this? This has all happened in like 12 hours. That's crazy. I know. You know, they're like calling all everybody report to duty, report to duty. Everybody gets overtime. This is crazy. Actually, Washoe County, which is just on the line with them. They sent a bunch of detectives over to them because this was all happening. And the FBI offered to send personnel as well. The man who was arrested was 25 year old Jeremiah Bean, and he was initially booked on two burglary charges. Kath, it wasn't spelled out, but I assume it was for the house he actually burgled where the man called the police on him and then breaking and entering into Angie Duff's house. Bean's adult criminal record included one burglary conviction in January 2011 in Lyon County. So this was two and a half years prior. He received probation for that offense, but it was revoked just seven months later. And Kath, the Department of Parole and Probation would not disclose the reason. He was then put in jail to serve out his sentence and was paroled in September 2012, with his parole expiring just three months later without any incident. Lyon County Sheriff Alan Vale said Bean had no known prior connections with any of the victims. Back at the station in the interrogation room, he refused to speak with detectives until they pulled out their ace in the hole. They had found Bean's cell phone that he dropped at the house where the homeowner found him. Remember, this was the SWAT team that discovered a phone and $1,000 in cash. These belonged to Bean. According to the episode we mentioned, somehow Bean had accidentally turned on a record function on his phone at some point 
because there was a recorded conversation between Bean and his roommate in real time after Bean murdered Eleazar. Bean was talking to his roommate about getting his truck stuck in the ditch and was unable to get it out no matter how much he tried. And then he tells the roommate that this guy pulled over to help him, so he just shot him and took his truck, running the guy over as he fled. As detectives played this for Bean, he spilled the beans and told his side of the story. (laughs) I couldn't resist that. (laughs) Okay, can I tell one more Vegas story? (laughs) All right, fine. Okay, uh, you're going to... wait, am I going to like it? Uh, well, I don't know. You're probably going to remember it, but because I think it was when we were there for the same event. Were and... you going to say nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say nonsense. I kind of heard that coming out of you. <laughs> exactly. I was there for a meal and a drink, but anyway. <laughs> and a spa day. I was just going to say, you and your sister convinced me to do a spa day because I told you I did not want to be touched. I don't need massages. I just don't... I don't need somebody moving my fat around. <laughs> Same so, sister. <laughs> so I remember you guys were like, just come on, come on, come It'll get a massage, fun. blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, fine. And okay, so, but remember, part of that reason was because we wouldn't have to go out to the actual pool at the resort. The spa had its own pool. Oh, that's right. And cabanas where we could get like lunch delivered to yeah, us. Yeah, it had like this little private deal. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot about that part. That's probably why you agreed. I uh, That probably <laughs> is why I agreed. You probably like bribe me with food or something but anyway exactly (laughs) so i remember sitting in you know like the little pre-massage room we were probably drinking cucumber water so we're sitting there and i'm telling you that i don't want my masseuse to be male and you're like yeah i don't either but i really 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 did and and so literally like 30 seconds later in walks this guy and he goes kathy and do you remember i was like yes it's her And I totally, like, (laughs) threw you under the bus. Well, as long as you really, really didn't want a male, that was okay to throw your friend under the bus. Okay, what was so funny is, like, you look at me with this venomous, like, (laughs) and, you know, you're like, it's like you you walked off with the guy. (laughs) Thinking of all the ways I could harm her in her sleep. Your sister was like, wow. (laughs) I think he knew that you didn't want him. (laughs) I didn't ask him to specify C or K. Yeah, exactly. I've done it ever since. (laughs) That's why we're differentiating on the podcast. Yeah. And for my massage, I got a woman. I didn't get a man. And I'm sure it was wonderful, although I remember nothing of it because I'm sure I was like tense the whole time. Well, I'm glad I could take one for the team because what would have actually been funnier, though, is if you've gotten a dude, too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I would have definitely handed him to your sister. I probably have more Vegas stories, but that's it for now. Okay. I've got more too, but yeah, I'm not going to tell them. Exactly. <laughs> not now, anyway. Not now. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) 
after I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come (laughs) over to your house now. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. (laughs) So if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy... Go to BadlandsFood.com slash KillerD and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash KillerD. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When autopsy results came back, detectives got a shock. The coroner reported that Robert and Dorothy Pape had been dead for three days before the fire was set and their bodies were found. So they weren't dealing with five murders in a span of hours, but actually murders that had taken place over the course of three days. So now does that make him a serial killer instead of a spree killer? Oh, now maybe. Okay. The coroner was also able to determine that the Papes had been shot with a twenty-two caliber handgun, the same type of gun that killed Eleazar Graham. Jeremiah Bean was charged with five counts of first-degree murder, four of the counts being for murder of someone over the age of 60. He was also charged with arson, burglary, grand larceny, as well as a convicted felon in possession of a deadly weapon. Naturally, he was held without bail. And Kath, the reason it was grand larceny is that the jewelry that Bean took from Dorothy Pape was valued somewhere between $650 and $3,500. Ah, I see. And I know, Kath, Circling back to Eleazar's brother who had the dent in his truck, my understanding was that he came to the police department and said, hi, I hear you're looking for me. But by that point, they figured Jeremiah Bean is the guy and they're not terribly interested. And he offered to let them test his truck. And whether it happened or not, we don't know. But Eleazar's brother is essentially in the clear. At a status hearing two months later, a Fernley judge granted a defense motion for a competency hearing. Bean's public defender said that the kind of charges his client faced raised the issue of competency to stand trial. He said, and I quote, This is the United States of America. (laughs) We have to make sure we don't lock up people without giving them their due process rights. That's my job. It's not an easy job. Thank you, Kathy, for the musical accompaniment. You're welcome. Bean was sent to a maximum security mental health facility in nearby Reno for evaluation. At that point, the Lyon County District Attorney had not made the decision as to whether or not they would seek the death penalty should Bean be convicted. However, his defense attorney told the court he wasn't certified under the Nevada Supreme Court rules that require the lead defense chair in a death penalty case to be a death penalty certified attorney. Another attorney was then appointed to represent Bean since the death penalty was a possibility. Two months after being admitted for evaluation, 
A judge ruled that Jeremiah Bean was competent to stand trial after receiving the results of Bean's competency evaluation. Jeremiah's IQ was measured as between 73 and 82, which is on the low end, but it did not meet the legal requirement to be declared incompetent to stand trial. In October 2013, five months after Robert and Dorothy Pape, Eleazar Graham, Angie Duff, and Lester Lieber were killed, it was reported by the district attorney's office that they had reached a plea deal with Bean. At his upcoming arraignment, Bean had agreed to plead guilty to the five murders in exchange for a sentence of life without parole. The DA's office agreed it would drop the remaining charges. Just a few days later, the courtroom fell into chaos during Bean's arraignment. As they started the hearing, the judge began to read out loud the charges against Bean. But as the judge read the first charge, Bean stood up and loudly said, not guilty. So it really was a matter of, Mr. Bean, the charges against you are murder. Not guilty. I didn't do it. Exactly. Not it. (laughs) Not me. Kath, everyone was shook. You're welcome. (laughs) Shook. Everyone was also in shock. (laughs) Now, of course, the judge and the prosecutors were, but his defense attorney was as well, because this was not what they talked about, nor what they'd agreed to. The judge decided to give Bean a couple of days to think it over and continued the hearing for five days. But when Bean was back before the judge, he said the same thing. Not guilty. I'm sure his attorney is like, what is happening? Seriously. You know, we brought you in here twice. We had the deal and now you're not guilty. Trial was set for June 2014, but it was postponed again several times. According to journalist Keith Trout with the Mason Valley News, Defense counsel submitted several motions before trial started. In one of them, Kath, the defense requested to postpone the trial for a year to give them a chance to collect the evidence, do the investigation they needed, whatnot. But Bean himself opposed the motion. Okay, that is so funny. You know, this is like PTSD for them of that that arraignment. Totally. The judge denied the motion, citing Bean's right to a speedy trial. But after all of these motions were denied... Defense attorneys requested to evaluate Bean's mental capacity to determine if it was high enough to make him eligible for the death penalty. This motion was granted. Kath, in 2002, the U.S. Supreme Court held that it was a violation of the Eighth Amendment, you know, a prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment to execute defendants with intellectual disabilities. But they didn't define what those were. And it's kind of left to the state to make those determinations. So I'm sure that's what was happening with being the not guilty being. Right. <laughs> not guilty. <laughs> One year later, in late June 2015, the court ruled that Jeremiah Bean was not intellectually disabled. The defense entered three additional motions. One was to change the venue and the other two were to strike the death penalty. All of the motions were denied. Trial began on July 16, 2015 two years and two months after the murders of Robert and Dorothy Pape, Eleazar Graham, Angie Duff, and Lester Lieber. In the prosecution's opening statement, Lyon County Chief Deputy District Attorney Jeremy Reichenberg gave a detailed account of the crimes Jeremiah Bean was accused of committing. He said Bean told detectives everything he did that weekend after being confronted with the evidence found on his cell phone, which of course was the recordings he didn't realize he had done. The prosecutor also said that the pickup truck Eleazar Graham was driving wasn't actually his. 
He borrowed it from a friend so he could deliver newspapers to the stores that morning. But he stopped to help someone he thought was in need because that was who he was. Now, while Kathy does an amazing job of telling the story, (laughs) the defense, no, no, you were just repeating what the prosecution said. That Mm -hmm. wasn't you. But the defense's opening statement was much more riveting. So brand new defense attorney, I actually think if we're counting, I believe this is number four. He began his opening statement by quoting Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. The quote was, a coward dies a thousand deaths before his death. He then said, the quote continues to say, but the valiant taste of death but once. He then said to the jury that the victims were the valiant ones. Attorney Davies then told the jurors that during the trial, he would tell more of Jeremiah Bean's story going back to Bean's birth and early days, first in Long Beach, California, before he joined his family after they'd moved to Fernley. He was first arrested in Fernley in January of 2011. He had actually only lived in Fernley for a couple of years at that point. That's when his family had first moved and he followed them. And remember, as we said at the beginning of this, he was 25 years old when these murders happened. So he had come out to Fernley as like an early 20s kind of guy. The defense attorney also talked about a pack of jackals who Bean hung out with in a garage when he first moved to Fernley. Davies also said that Bean was jumped into a gang in Long Beach at the age of nine, began smoking meth shortly after, and didn't attend school past the sixth grade, although he did work toward a GED when he moved to Fernley. Davies also told the jurors that Bean had suffered head trauma at an early age and had what attorney Davies termed subpar intelligence. This was all during the opening statement. I know this cracks me up because opening statement is designed to kind of create a theme and you tell the jury your story. You're basically letting them know what the evidence is going to show. And this guy was basically trying to like, you know, he's putting in all this stuff that may or may not be admissible at this stage of the game, you know? Right. He's just trying to bias the jury. Toward his client. For sure. But it gets worse. Defense attorney Davies was not finished yet. He told the jury that the time Bean seemed to thrive the most was in prison, where he was sent after he joined his family in Fernley. In prison, Bean had the most structure and discipline and even got the privilege of working on a fire crew. But after leaving prison, he slipped back into drugs. This is so funny. The attorney's like, please send my client to prison. He totally is. You're going to be doing him a favor. Right. He's going to become a better man in prison. Right. Attorney Davies said Bean was kicked out of an older brother's house and kicked out of the family home by his father, who even changed the locks because Bean wouldn't stop using. And as he wrapped up his opening statement, Attorney Davies told the jury he actually was trying to argue for Bean to avoid the death penalty. So, Kath, what was the prosecutor doing? I'm sure he was jumping up and down. The prosecution, of course, objected to those last remarks and the judge told the jury to disregard it. The judge then dismissed the jury. After they left, the judge admonished defense attorney Davies, reminding him that that kind of information should only be brought up during a penalty phase when a sentence is argued and considered after a guilty verdict. He also told Davies not to pull that crap again because he wouldn't tolerate anything that would cause a mistrial or be fodder for an appeal. And I am paraphrasing what the judge said. (laughs) I think I'm being a little harsher than it came out. He's like, Davies, you're a fool. And Davies like, yeah, I am. And I did it anyway. During trial, it came out through witnesses what had transpired during Bean's three-day murder spree. 
Detectives testified that during their interrogation, Bean described what happened at the Papes and said it all started out as a burglary. He was looking for anything he could steal and walked into the house through an open garage door. When he walked into the bedroom, Dorothy Pape was asleep on the bed, but woke up when she heard Bean rifling through her jewelry cabinet. She sat up in bed, so Bean shot her once in the head and once in the chest. Her husband Robert heard the shots and came in to see what was happening, and as he ran into the room, Bean shot him once in the head and once in the chest as well. Bean stole items from the papes that he thought would be valuable, and then he stole their truck. He started driving to Reno and called friends about where they thought he could pawn some jewelry. Which is actually kind of funny because in any gambling town in Nevada, and I'm sure anywhere else, pawn shops are about every other shop. Yeah. He got a couple hundred dollars and used it to buy drugs. He also visited a brothel as part of that weekend. I believe it was the Mustang Ranch, actually. Probably. And so we're talking about kind of the inappropriateness of the defense attorney. As the detectives are testifying and specifically about what he did during that weekend after he killed the papes, defense attorney Davies countered with, you know what? In fact, Bean actually returned to their residence with his friends after scoring some drugs. But the smell of the bodies was so bad that they dragged the papes into the closet and covered them with clothes. This is what his defense attorney said is cross-examining the cops about. Yeah, like you're not actually telling the truth. Here's what he did during that weekend. That's so crazy. So the papes were killed on a Friday and Bean was obviously coming to and fro with his friends, apparently. Anyway, when he ran out of money, he went back to the papes house looking for more jewelry and things that he could steal and sell. When he got off the wrong off ramp and as he tried to make a U-turn to get back on the freeway, he got stuck in a ditch. After Eliezer Graham pulled over to help him, Bean killed him and took that truck back to the Papes, where he set it on fire. After setting the Papes' home on fire, he didn't know where to go, so he just walked down the street. Around the corner, he found a front door unlocked and walked inside. This was Angie Duff's house. Bean said no one was in the house, and as he went through it, he found a handgun in the bedroom, which Angie kept for her own protection. When Angie, who'd just been outside in the backyard, came inside and spotted Bean, she ran from him toward the kitchen. He ran after her, and Kathy saw her grabbing a knife, so he immediately shot her with her own gun. That was when her boyfriend Lester heard the gunshots, went inside to check on Angie, and then Bean shot him and stabbed him with the knife that Angie had grabbed. So now he's covered in blood, and now he's freaking out. So he runs to a neighboring house that was empty. He hid his items there, his cell phone, his cash, other things he'd stolen. But then the man returned and found him. And that's the guy who called 911 and said, hey, there was just a burglar in my house. So he ran through the backyard to Angie's house, not realizing that police were already there and it was set up as a crime scene. And that is where his killing spree ended, as we know. On July 28th, 2015, a jury of nine women and three men deliberated for a little more than an hour before reaching their verdict. They found him guilty on all counts. Just over a week later, sentencing was held for Jeremiah Bean. During the hearing, which was with the same jury that found him guilty, there were several victim impact statements given in court. Two of Eliezer Graham's sisters spoke, and one of them talked about how Ellie, 
as the family called him, took care of their father who was on dialysis and worked two jobs. She said stopping to help Bean when he was stranded on the side of the road was an example of how giving her brother was. She said she felt their father, who died shortly after Ellie was killed, would have lived longer if not for Ellie's death. Bob Pape, the only son of Robert and Dorothy, was not present but had his wife Terry read a statement. It said, I have been pushed beyond my emotional limits. And he talked about how devoted his parents were to each other and how wonderful they were to neighbors. A statement was also read from Dean Duff, son of Angie. He said his mother's death was very hard on him and his brother, and his brother began drinking hard and had died earlier that year of liver failure. The statement said their mom's murder brought a recognition that evil does exist. Larry Lieber, son of Lester, talked about his father raising him and his sister as a single parent, calling him the rock of their family. He said, I lost my friend, the one who had all the answers to my questions. There were six witnesses who spoke on behalf of Jeremiah Bean, but the primary one was his mother, Luce. During her testimony, Mrs. Bean implied that her husband had chosen not to testify because he was afraid that some people would blame him for the murders. Mrs. Bean told the jury that she would visit her son if he was sentenced to life in prison and beg the jury to spare his life. She said, I think God is not finished with him yet. Why Jeremiah did it, I don't know. All I ask is please forgive us. And I thought that was interesting that she said, please forgive us. I did too. I also thought it was interesting that his father thought he would be blamed for all the murders. Yeah. But that was never explained. Right. After fewer than two hours of deliberation, the jury reached a unanimous verdict and recommended sentencing Bean to death for each of the five counts of murder. In each of the five counts, the jury ruled the aggravating circumstances outweighed the mitigating circumstances. Three months later, the judge sentenced Jeremiah Bean to five consecutive death penalties, as well as various consecutive terms of imprisonment for the other offenses. As in any death penalty case, there was an automatic appeal. And in the Reno Gazette Journal article four years later by Scott Sonner, it was announced that the state Supreme Court rejected the appeal of the now 31-year-old death row inmate Jeremiah Bean. He is currently incarcerated on death row at the Ely State Prison in southeastern Nevada. And he is actually sharing the prison with another one of our cases. Renee, this is for you because the other person who's there is Jazz. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We know we've done better. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we always do our best for you. Uh, we did start up our TikTok again. We have a new member of the KD team, so we'll be using him for some of our videos. If you aren't following us there, we're at Killer Destinations Pod. Go find us, follow us, like us, comment. And if you go on Patreon, we hope you enjoyed the episode yesterday. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.